Mary Beth, welcome to the platform. How you doing? I'm great. Glad to be here, Trums. Now I'm glad that you're here as well. Um, I'm excited about this conversation. Um, insider conversation. <laughs> <laughs> all all the last three mayors, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> um, before we get into that, um, I want to go into just your background and just um policy, press journalism, and kind of what inspired you to take that track, that career. And where did that like inspiration come from? Did you always see yourself like being in government and, and working on policy and things? Yeah, um, not really. I mean, I was um, tangentially involved in the College Democrats when I was an undergraduate, but um, I studied journalism. I knew I could write and um, I loved literature, so I majored in English, but I didn't think English was a very practical credential for getting a good job. Um, so that's why I studied journalism. And I, I thought I wanted to be a, a TV reporter, a broadcast reporter. Okay. Um, but when I was uh, graduating and looking for jobs, um, it became clear that to work your way up in TV news, you kind of got to move around the country and start in smaller markets and work your way up. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really have the confidence as a 21 year old to like move to a city where I didn't have any friends or family and, right. you know, just kind of be out there building a life on my own. So a friend of mine's mom was, uh, from school was state budget director for the governor of Indiana at the time. And, um, they had an opening for an administrative assistant in the press office for the governor of Indiana. Um, and so I took that, and it was okay. just me and the two press secretaries running that office. And so, you know, I was in that office on September 11th, 2001. Oh, wow. um, and the state of Indiana at that time was going through a whole lot. They had a big controversy over pollution in the White River. Mm -hmm. They were undergoing a major tax restructuring that was going to impact seniors all across the state. Um, and I really got to not only work with the State House Press Corps and understand the importance of public relations and that interaction between government and the media for getting the word out about what's going on in the government, but also understanding the role of all three branches of government, executive, right. legislative, and judicial, um, and just how important all that interaction was right. for really having a direct impact on people's lives. Um, so I pretty much from that position, went into government public affairs uh, for the majority of my career. I've been working, as I said, since 2001. Um, I worked for the Human Services Agency for the state of Indiana. So, um, you know, had everything from mental health and addiction to child right. abuse and neglect and child support, welfare to work programs, Medicaid and Medi uh, Medicaid programs, um, and uh, 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 services for uh, the developmentally disabled and, mm -hmm. and uh, people with mental illness. Um, from there, I went to work in the private sector, but on um, uh, for, the st for a contract with the state on tobacco prevention cessation. So uh, that was a major public health campaign. And then uh, when I moved back to Nashville uh, from Indianapolis in 2005, I uh, was in the private sector for a little bit. Um, uh, at an agency, uh, Blue Cross and Blue Shield was our major client. But from there, I went to work in the Bredesen administration at the Books from Birth Foundation, working on Dolly Parton's Imagination Library, which is an early childhood literacy program that a lot of people should be familiar with. Right. If you've got a child under five, maybe you've got a child in the program. Do you know um, <laughs> Brady Banks? 
Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Brady okay. and I actually worked together a little bit um, on the program during okay. that time. Yeah. Um, got to meet Dolly three times uh, while I was <laughs> in that job. That was a, that was really great. Um, and then during Bredesen's second term, I started to really think about where I wanted to take my career in communications. Um, by that point, I kind of knew that government nonprofit was where you know, I wanted to earn my living, the private sector, you know, just wasn't getting my juices flowing, like more cause oriented uh, Mm -hmm. PR and comms was. So I started um, getting involved with the National Civic Design Center, um, which at that time had started a fledgling nonprofit called Transit Now Nashville. Right. And through Transit Now, I um, met a man named Michael Skipper, who runs uh, currently the Greater Nashville Regional Council. At that time, it was the Metropolitan Planning Organization for the region, and they do all the transportation policy planning and funding for the 10 counties in Middle Tennessee. Um, and he did a presentation on just the growth scenarios looking out to the year 2035 and what Nashville was going to experience in terms of projected traffic congestion. Right consumption of our remaining open space through development. Um, and it was kind of a nightmarish scenario as far as I was concerned as a native Nashvillian where, you know, growth was, could take a really ugly turn, turn right. if we didn't um, do something to mar- marshal that growth and um, focus it in a way that preserved sustainability and livability. So I met with him and essentially pitched working for him. <laughs> and I was there for five years as the first um, and only full-time communicator for an MPO in the state of Tennessee. Um, and I think because I'd gotten that experience, mm-hmm. um, that was that the plan that we worked on doing public involvement for essentially put forward the first vision for how to connect the region via mass transit, mm-hmm. which led to in motion, which led to the, the push to fund in motion through referendum in 2018. Um, I think that experience is what um, uh, interested Mayor Barry in picking me up as a political appointee when she um, uh, won the mayor's office in 2015. Right. Um, and so, you know, she and I had a relationship, you know, going back a ways. And right. um, I came into her administration to serve as, a, as an advisor, knowing that all of this was sort of leading toward um, how are we going to get the money to right. fund public transportation okay. in a meaningful way for so, Middle Tennessee? <clears throat> hell of a career, hell of a journey. <laughs> <laughs> hell of a journey. Yeah. So I have to ask you, during that, during that time, was there ever a moment um, where you was like, ah, I might have wanted to just do something else or like, or like, this is exactly, I know I'm doing exactly what I want to do. Maybe, maybe you experienced both of those moments during that time, but I just know you never know until you know, right. What you really want to do, or this is like kind of for me. So, especially as a woman, right. In a, in a male dominated kind of sector of profession. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder if you can talk to us a little bit about that as well of like, did you, those ups and downs, those challenges, those, those places, ladies, like, I don't know how long I can keep doing this, or is it, or is this something that is really for me? Right, yeah. Well, twice in recent years, I've taken what I would call a professional sabbatical from uh, pushing forward mm-hmm. on, on what needs to happen in transportation and in Middle Tennessee. After the AMP failed um, around, I guess it was 
2014, mm-hmm. I went and worked at the Elephant Sanctuary in Hohenwald, <laughs> Tennessee, as their communications director, um, just working on um, trying to rescue captive elephants from right. circus and zoo environments and retire them in sanctuary, but also doing education around edu- elephant conservation. Right. Uh, I, you know, I got totally out of Nashville. And then mm-hmm. recently I've been working in Chattanooga. I went and worked for the the current mayor uh, down there, mm-hmm. as well as the Chamber of Commerce down there, just because I wanted a change of pace from transportation as well as Nashville and sort of what's going on um, with the political environment and the growth. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm a native Nashvilleian, so I think if you're interested in cities um, and how cities work and what makes successful cities, living in a different city is a good exercise yeah. if you have the flexibility, you know, to do so. And right. sort of, so I went down to Chattanooga and lived there for a year and learned a lot about what what's making it hum. Right. Uh, there's some good ideas that we could import back here, even though they're only half of our size. Right. Um, they're definitely a peer of ours and are doing a lot of the same things around economic development that Nashville was doing in previous iterations of uh, our Partnership 2000, mm-hmm. Partnership 2020, sort of mm-hmm. regional strategic plan that the chamber um, and its partners sort of operate off of. Um, so, yeah, when there are setbacks like that, like the referendum, mm-hmm. you know, going down and the AMP, you know, not getting built, right. um, long-time transportation and transit advocates, um, you know, if you want to maintain the energy and the idealism to keep at it, knowing right. that this is a long game, um you know, a sabbatical, I think, is is yeah. good for to recharge and, yeah. and to reset. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, just take a break from the subject matter. Exactly, exactly. So now I kind of just want to get straight into it. You know, <laughs> I think we have a lot to talk about. Yeah. Working in the mayor's office, mm-hmm. three different mayors. Mm-hmm. Um. So quickly, um, I want to go through each each mayor, but I want you to take us through kind of the the differences mm-hmm. of being in the environment of, of Megan Berry, Bradley, and then Cooper. Mm-hmm. And kind of um, maybe what are some pros and cons of each administration um, that you experienced personally being in the mayor's office doing those three different kind of, I think, as well, like Nashville kind of transitions mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. here. Yeah. Um, well, uh, Megan and I had a personal relationship, so I was her appointee mm-hmm. on transportation and sustainability, along with um, a colleague of mine, Erin Hafkenshiel, um, who moved here from the state of California. Um, so um, that comfort and familiarity, I think, you know, led to you know the ability to be frank with her during mm-hmm. meetings, and you know it's relaxed. There's not a lot of tension. Um, but also because you have that personal relationship, there's that drive to, to really want to um, deliver your best every single day and not disappoint this person because right. you have such um, a rapport and admiration and esteem for them. Um, she also, one of the reasons I had a relationship with her was because um, Megan was always very involved and supportive of the Young Democrats you know, you would go to something at her house. There was always young people around. Right. Um, so the office, you know, was stacked with people who were early to mid career 
and you know it was just a really good working environment in terms of the talent that she was able to bring on board I think there was a lot of interest in um, you know her star might have been rising politically right. being the first female mayor elected of metropolitan government there was just a lot of people who were interested in working just for her to right. come to Nashville just for that opportunity right. um, to be in that administration so um, I would say that you know, all of the staff, you know, loved and respected each other, mm-hmm. um, you know, open door in terms of the communication, you know, I could go to my colleagues working on affordable housing right. and, you know, sit in their office and find, find ways to partner and collaborate and mm-hmm. catch up with them about what's going on and vice versa. Right. Um, that was happening all the time. It was a good office for that. Um, you know, there was definitely, I think, um, some barriers that she was open to working on as the, her first term and, and potentially a second term would have, would have happened in terms of, uh, you know, um, policy aides like myself and, and others in the office really needed more insight and access to what was going on with putting together the Metro budget. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a big part of what that job is in terms of just the, both the executive branch, but also, policy aides aren't able to deliver on what's on their portfolio or what, what the agenda to move the needle forward might be without resources. Um, and so when those conversations and decisions are sort of happening amongst, amongst a small clique of people, Mm -hmm. you know, close to the filing deadline or whatever it it happens where you're just not able to get in there and advocate, it's always a matter of advocacy particularly my portfolio was transportation and sustainability. And um, I would wager to guess that that's probably still the case now where um, the political heavyweights in terms of when it comes time for the Metro budget to get assembled and passed at council are always going to be police, fire and schools. And they take such a huge portion of the Mm -hmm. available um, tax revenues that finance and um, the administration have to work with that, um, for folks who are working on departments that, um, you know, have an impact on uh, livability and sustainability, we're talking departments like planning, codes, public works, MTA, um, and parks. Mm-hmm. Um, you really need to be able to get in there and advocate for, you know, what the priorities might be this year. And, right. what, you know, and just making sure there's a level of coordination mm-hmm. and, you um, you know, teamwork around that, um, you know, I think, you know, was something that needed to be worked on. But I also think that, uh, you know, Mayor Berry had the introspection Mm -hmm. uh, to look inward and know like, hey, like, you know, we could do a better job of this. Um, So that all that all was happening in terms of looking at the office structure and, you know, coming up with those levers for policy aides like Mm -hmm. myself to to really get in there and, you know, figure out how to access the resources or right. just be at the table when those big decisions are being made about, you know, um, how to just spend extremely limited resources. Right. Um, given that we are, relatively speaking, I'm sure a lot of people might think otherwise, a low tax environment. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, you get what you pay for. Right. right? Um, and that's the southeastern United States in mm-hmm. general, not just Nashville, Tennessee. Um, the Briley administration, I would say, was... Before, um, before you get oh, to yeah, Briley. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Before, before yeah. you get to Briley. Okay, yeah. Because <laughs> I think it's a pivotal moment. Yeah, yeah. 
that transition mm-hmm. from uh, Mayor Barry to Briley, how did that affect maybe your role in the office mm-hmm. in 2018 where so much personally is happening for Mayor Barry, which was her son, mm-hmm. and then the the affair, the security affair, and then the misuse of public funds, all of these things, this... Right. Um, as being, you know, in that in that office, did you see any of this happening? One uh, or coming, and and just how was that transition as a as a staff and figuring out? Okay, like this is this is kind of this is kind of crazy. This is right. kind of weird. Right. Yeah. No. I mean the the information about you know what was going on mm-hmm. was really you know staff was finding out about it um, as the media was public, releasing yeah. it and, and the general public was, was finding out about it. And so, um, you know, I would be in a meeting on the transit referendum because if, if you'll recall, you know, things were really uh, a lot of activity around getting that referendum over the finish line during the period that the scandal broke. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would be in meetings around, what do we do need to do next today to get our message out on the benefits of this funding program? Right. Um, and there would be another headline, you know, kind of coming in. And so it was, um, you know, it was deeply demoralizing for staff. Um, but, you know, I think fortunate for Nashville that she did do a, a good job putting dedicated public servants in place. I'm not just talking about myself. I'm talking mm-hmm. about all my colleagues. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, everybody in that office was um, there because they were trying to make a difference. And so, you know, we're just going to charge forward right. and um, do the best we can, mm-hmm. you know, with what we got. The, the legislation had been filed. It's right. going to be on the ballot in May. There's right. no turning back now. I mean, I guess right. we could have you know, filed legislation <laughs> to put it on November instead. Right. I think I think maybe even Councilmember Mendez had floated that at a at a meeting at one point. Um, and you know, hindsight, maybe we should have done that. But mm-hmm. um, I think that all along there might have been you know some sort of uh, hope that there could be a legal maneuver to sort right. of you know put this to bed, essentially, given it was a personal personal issue on her her part for the most part. Um, so you know, it was. Um, Having that personal yeah, relationship yeah. with her, um, and maybe like some other staff members had, did that did did that relationship change at, at any point during when the scandal things were were, were happening, or mm-hmm. or or did that relationship that y'all had before did that, that kind of help it, I guess make it a, a easier thing to handle because you you could talk to her, you could kind of flush things out. Um, in a, in a deeper way, if it was just kind of just a, a professional relationship. Yeah, I, I would definitely say that my relationship with her um, caused me to have enormous empathy for everything that was going on mm-hmm. in her life from, you know, what happened with her son right. to, um, you know, her the impact to her career yeah. of some of, from something of that nature. Um, and she called every one of us into her office, you mm-hmm. know, when it first broke and had a one-on-one with us where, you know, she personally apologized mm-hmm. and, um, you know, tried to reassure us that we're going to get through it and come through it. Wow. Okay. 
so as the days went on, we, we were all just hopeful that right. it was going to, um, you know, sort of run its core, run through the news cycle, and then we could get back to work. If, 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 if Mayor Megan Barry was a man, does she, is, does this happen? Does this flesh out differently? Does she, does she even resign? Is it, does she? I think so. I mean, okay. I think women political leaders have to be above reproach. Okay. Um, and you know, that, that may change in the years and decades to come, but, um, you know, we definitely have people who have had something like that. Gavin Newsom in California comes to mind. Mm -hmm. Um, President Trump on multiple (laughs) levels, even far worse, you know, and, uh, repercussions of, you know, of this nature, right. uh, the severity of having to negotiate a resignation, I think, as part of the plea deal, I think, was a pretty heavy hammer, in my opinion, um, mm-hmm. for our city and, right. and for her career. Right. Um, you know, there could have been other punitive actions taken besides um, inserting a resignation in there right. as part of the plea deal. Now, with all that going on, you have to transition. Mm-hmm. Um, with Riley, what is what is the environment now? What is what is the energy like in the office now? You know. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, I'd I'd also known David for a long time as okay. well. Um. And you know, who is now judge? Yeah, um, Judge Riley. Judge yeah. Riley. Yeah, uh, his honor. Um, yeah. Is it is see General Sessions? I believe so. Okay, yeah. I can't uh-huh. remember what court, which division, but yeah. congratulations yeah. to him. Right. I know he just he just won his past election. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you know, he and I also had a relationship. Um, I think he um, and his um, political team were sort of committed to, for the most part, status quo for the year and a half left on Megan's term right. in terms of the staffing. Um, and I think there were some projects on the table that, you know, ended up being sort of politically tenuous for him that had been started under Mayor Barry, um, you know, like the Church Street Park deal and the parking, um, uh, sort of project in terms of partnering with an outsourced private sector partner on running our, uh, parking enforcement. You know, there were some things like that, that you know, continued as projects that maybe should have been tabled. But for the most part, there were also some really good things in the pipeline that Mayor Bradley, to his credit, didn't put the kibosh on and Mm -hmm. and supported and, um, you know, did everything he could to to get over the finish line as he he finished out the term. Um, He... um, he had a decisive leadership style. I found him to be pretty decisive mm-hmm. um, and approachable. Okay. Um, but I would say for the most part, it was just kind of towing the line, holding status quo while right. we work on. He had actually two elections during that year and a half period of time. There was a yeah. special election to make sure he could, you know, remain right. um, in there. And then, you know, at the end of the term, it was right. time for, for reelect. Right. Yeah, I was a quick a year and a half. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, for for example, in my portfolio, I had um, in the hopper the launch of a countywide tree planting campaign called Root Nashville. Right. Um, that um, you know 
we we had almost everything in place to launch and announce that and mm -hmm. um and we were able we were able to do that right um so so doing so doing all this this transition and then you have you know two elections as 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 a staff in the mayor's office how how challenging i guess is it to like focus mm -hmm. on your portfolio and still trying to get things and policies passed and people educated, community educated, doing all these headlines that people tend to, you know, navigate to first mm -hmm. or they let the headlines influence, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, what should or shouldn't be happening. Right. Well, I think when you're an appointee or you're in an, in a job where it's an appointed position, you know, you're under the microscope the whole time. Right. And so even though it's not your name that's on the ballot, it's right. the elected official, um, you're still a, in a leadership position. Mm -hmm. And so um, leaders are pretty much always on stage. And mm -hmm. so even if, you know, what you're encountering in terms of, you know, maybe the community's not fully bought in to the current mayor. Right. Um, like, maybe they think that this is a placeholder administration and it's not going to matter after 2019 or, or whatever. You can't act like that when you're in that role because, right. um, you know, every day is an opportunity mm -hmm. to um, get something done. Like, right. you know, the emails that would fly across my desk, um, even if it was just a constituent wanting to express concern um, or have their voice heard about something on my portfolio and, you know, it's being routed to me for a response. There was a lot of that, but then there's also just, um, the mayor's office is a, um, an entity that can help other people out in the community to, to do good things and right. they need help. And so everything that was coming across my desk, um, was meaningful and, and could, if, to the extent that I, invested the time and energy into it. I right. mean, you have limited bandwidth in that job. That's part of the problem. Right. Um, you know, there was an opportunity for it to make a difference. Right. Even if it didn't last beyond the term um, or any any of your in my lifetime, it still mm -hmm. could make a difference today. Right. Um, so you just kind of have to fake it till you make it, honestly. <laughs> um, and even if you're exhausted or... Mm -hmm. um, um, dismayed or worried i would say for for my part as an appointed appointee um you know the resignation caused me to have anxiety about my livelihood mm -hmm. you know um when something abrupt like right. that and unexpected and controversial like that mm -hmm. happens um you know i was sort of like really worried about whether or not i was um, bringing value both to the leadership that inherited the role, but also to the taxpayer. Right. Um, and so any opportunity I could find, um, you know, and I also wanted David to be successful. Like I said, he and right. I went, went back a long way. And mm -hmm. for the time that he was in there, I wanted him to have some wins. Right. You know, he was thrust into um, a pretty stressful situation. Right. And he was excited about it, but it, I'm sure it also was it wore on him as well, right. you know? So on to our third mayor. Yeah, yeah. And so this is what I'm curious about, Mary Bell. 
you were able to sustain and be, you know, kind of, I guess, um, reappointed or maintain this position through all three mayors. Is that common? Um, or does that just really say a, a lot about like just your your expertise in the work and the relationships you have built um, for multiple mayors to say, hey, like Mary Beth is the right person for this role um, for what we want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, I had accumulated between the Metropolitan Planning Organization and the, you know, first full term of the Barry slash Briley administration, pretty much t- a decade of experience in transportation. And so transportation can be kind of a niche issue where um, it really does take a little bit of subject matter uh, knowledge to be able to talk about these concepts with a general public audience and Mm -hmm. um, my background being communications I think I'm pretty well suited to be in an appointed environment because the mayor's office isn't let's be clear actually doing much of anything it's really a, a sophisticated convener okay. and leadership entity, right? Like you're making, you're making, you know, um, an impact leadership wise when you put forward your budget, when you're in that role, but that's only once a, a year, once or twice a year when you do your capital and operating budgets, the rest of the time, the office is sort of functioning, um, for the most part in a public relations role, which is, right. you know, when you have a public relations background, you understand that, your communications have to be clear and compelling, mm-hmm. uh, timely, and then you have to know who to all to have at the table and mm-hmm. when, and have those relationships to bring those people to the table. And so a public relations practitioner, I think, is well-suited for that. And then you combine that with the fact that I'd been in transportation 10 years right. and along for the ride since 2009 when we put forward the first regional transit vision all the way up through trying to fund that vision right. with Let's Move National in 2018, you know. Makes sense. <laughs> yeah, you know, it would if he was going to do something on transportation, I served a useful purpose right. in surviving the transition. I right. was a one, I think, of around seven mayor's office employees out of around 35, I think, to, go through every, okay. to survive the transition, which is okay. a small number. Right. Um, I think that's something that, the voter should know in terms of, um, you know, just the value that is, gets placed on institutional knowledge mm-hmm. um, when administrations change over. And I think when Megan resigned and we had a very low turnout election, you know, for the runoff um, that year, that that was a pretty impactful decision in terms of the institutional knowledge right. that went out the door during that transition. Um, so, you know, I, sustainability also, I think, is somewhat of a niche issue. I didn't have that in my background prior to becoming an appointee where my colleague, as I mentioned, who moved here from California, had that in her background. Mm-hmm. And so I think because we were going to be a team, they just collapsed that onto my portfolio. So right. at that point, I'd had six years or four years, excuse me, in sustainability. Um and I had people that I was interacting with outside the office on that portfolio who I think were advocating that I would get to stay because they were not keen on 
having to develop an entire new working relationship right. um, with another appointee. So how was your experience with Mayor Cooper? Because you're no longer, in, you know, he's still in office, you're no longer there. Um, how was that um, work environment experience? Because he has recently had, you know, many people, you know, in I think key leadership positions resign. Mm -hmm. You know, some of which I've had here um, sitting right where you're sitting. Right. And so, um, so I'm curious on, you know, that experience and, you know, and why you're no longer there. Well, um, so I was the last uh, Barry appointee with any uh policy responsibility um, as of, you know, mid-2021 in that administration. I mm -hmm. think pretty much everyone um, had been resigned or had resigned, you know, or been cut loose during transition or for, for other reasons. And so um, I think when everyone went to work from home during the pandemic, mm -hmm. that was a in my opinion, a big impact on the cohesion and camaraderie of the office. Um, you know, of course, there was technology there to facilitate um, touch points and communication, but right. the mayor's office is a very high-touch environment mm -hmm. where I think it's useful to be in the office having those hallway conversations and right. showing your face and building that you're building political capital with right. your colleagues, just like you're building political capital with uh, constituents and, and residents on the out, on the outside, mm -hmm. you know, neighbors. Um, and so I think I was sort of, because I was a holdover from the Barry administration and it was hard for me from the get-go to develop those relationships, um, you know, not having been a Cooper appointee when the pandemic hit, it mm -hmm. was a lot of out of sight, out of mind, right. um, unfortunately. Um, and I think, you know, I think they wanted someone in the sustainability role who um, had a better rapport with the current mayor. It's right. all about who he or she is comfortable with. Right. Um, and, I don't know that Mayor Cooper was going to be comfortable interacting in a very honest, um, recurring, straightforward way with Barry appointees, mm. unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so I reached the end of my useful life about <laughs> two years in, and um, it was time for me to, to move, move on, on because I was being underutilized, in my opinion. Okay. Um, yeah. So. so you go through... These three, you know, mayors here in Nashville, just historically, like, just like, I don't know if we ever have done that, mm -hmm. like, ever here. Like, three mayors in, I, I guess, what, four years? Or so, like, four and a half years, we had three different mayors. Mm -hmm. um, and now a pandemic happens. Uh, and we're just now, I guess, coming out of that as far as, like, as far as the city. People are still, you know catching COVID and people are still working remotely. Uh, but now we're in a very interesting spot, I think, here in Nashville, especially around transportation, but also we have an election coming up in 2023. Mm -hmm. We could possibly have a new mayor. Um, and I think you're the perfect person <laughs> <laughs> to uh, to really have this conversation with um, on what the future of Nashville may look like or should look like 
um, depending on maybe the decisions that I that the the mayor we may have going forward for the next four years make or don't make. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I want I, I, what questions should we as community members and neighbors be having on our mind to ask uh, potential our next potential mayor or uh, and maybe not even ask like demand yeah <laughs> right uh-huh. what what should we be demanding um from the next mayor uh, going into 2023 when it comes to sustainability when it comes to transportation and just preservation right mm-hmm. of you know we're both natural natives we don't want to see the soul of natural leaves um for big business you know um so I, I just want to dive into that yeah, deep yeah. And, and, and use up all of your policy gems and experience and, and working with mayors and understanding how the city navigates and works and, 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 and what, you know, candidates are even thinking and what a team's planning and things right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, so I have heard that the polling would indicate that the t- top major areas of concern for Nashvilleans going into this upcoming mayoral election are um, the pressures of growth on affordability mm-hmm. um, and livability. Just there are a lot of people when you're talking about the metro electorate, which you know, I, as I understand, has not changed much right. um, from when Mayor Barry was wanting, running in um, 2015. Um, as I mentioned, super low turnout on the runoff election that um, decided between uh, Mayor Briley and Mayor Cooper in, in 2019. So we're still talking about pretty much a, a skewing older electorate. I wish more young people would, you know, get registered mm-hmm. and vote in metro elections and understand how directly, you know, impactful local government decisions are and not just vote in presidentials all the time, but that's a whole other conversation about voter engagement and just where, where people are in terms of their civic duty and the democracy these days. Um, (laughs) But, you know, if those are the top areas of concern is like, we're getting out ahead of our skis on growth in terms of you can't even get into home ownership. The rents are too high. Okay. There's that affordability aspect. There's also the affordability aspect on, um, transportation and that during the pandemic, you probably, um, heard about this microchip issue Mm -hmm. with the, um, manufacturing of new cars to where now the average new cars around $45,000, which now has impacted the used car market. Right. So So transportation and your housing note are pretty much neck and neck Mm -hmm. on the top two household expenditures in terms of like people are trying to make ends meet. Right. And as we all know, the wages aren't Mm -hmm. being raised accordingly for people to be able to afford either of those two things that they need to get by. Right. Um, and then just, you know, we've got an issue around over tourism. Um, I think visitors to our downtown from other cities who are like coming here to do a peer review and bring us lessons from their cities and observe what's going on in our city are starting to look at the over tourism situation and be like, y'all really need to watch that. Mm. Um, because, you know, having a, a downtown that's not livable for, residents because right. it's become a Las Vegas strip type situation right. will have impact on the growth countywide. Um, 
You need that growth downtown. You need right. people living and working downtown that are Nashvilleans, not just tourists. Does is that East Bank vision? Is that part of that expanding growth? <clears throat> Excuse me. Is that mm -hmm. part of that expanding growth that you're talking about? That I guess the mayor is trying to get in front of. Yeah, because there's a lot of land in that area that's mm -hmm. under Metro's control. Right. So there's very few areas left in the county where mm -hmm. you have land that, you know, you you can put a vision forward right. because, you know, Metro is like a major stakeholder in that whole situation right. along with the NFL team, right? So if you're for quality growth... Uh -huh. And, you know, us not continuing to sprawl out into the suburban ring counties mm -hmm. or even our beautiful remaining, you know, farm and, and forest and pasture land that we have in Davidson County, mm -hmm. you're for focusing some of that growth in on the East Bank. Right. Um, it's not just developers and the Titans and right. Councilman Withers and whomever else constituencies are for that. Like if you're for quality growth, you want that to happen. And our downtown is kind of constrained, right? Um, and so that's a that's a good area to make, you know, accommodate some of that growth. I do think that the generational setback of voting down transit in 2018 mm. is causing the East Bank to sort of pop up in terms of focus because. To get more growth in along our major transit corridors, like mm. where we were going to put light rail on Gallatin and um, Charlotte and Nolansville and Murfreesboro and BRT on Hillsboro and Clarksville Pike, you know, the number one barrier to getting density in along those corridors is neighbors' concerns around traffic congestion. Right. And it's a legitimate concern because right. if you do build a high-rise mixed-use development, it's going to bring more cars unless you have the transit service. So when you go to your neighbors and you say, we want to build a high-rise mixed-use development here on Nolensville Pike, they're going to come out and they're going to say, this is going to bring a whole bunch of cars. And right. they're going to be right because we haven't funded WeGo in a way that will enable us to get the BRT or the rail line in right. to where we can t say to those neighbors, oh, but transit is coming. Don't mm -hmm. worry. Not everybody who lives in this building is going to even own a car. Right they're going to be able to get around without one because right. we are a city that will accommodate that, right? right? So that's, that's also, I think, part of the problem is that the growth is coming. Mm -hmm. we've, we've, we've sort of let the genie out of the bottle in terms of economic development and jobs, right? Like we spent 10, 20, 30 years luring these employers, mm -hmm. giving them, you know, $500 per head incentive deals or right. whatever it was. Tax breaks. Yeah, economic mm -hmm. development. We right. did economic development. We embraced it. We said, we want all the jobs. And bringing jobs is good. Like, look at all the new restaurants we've got. Right. Look at... Hotels. The diversity. Diver yep. Yeah. and mm -hmm. Yeah, beautiful um, uh, hotels that were right. historic that were about probably going to be condemned. Right. If some, you know... Um, Capital didn't come in here to renovate them and put and and preserve that for right. a city. There's a lot of good that's come with economic development and the growth, but then there does come a point where you know what I heard the CEO of the chamber say recently is that I think partnership twenty forty whatever they're on yeah. now is now the you know instead of just economic development being the top focus area it's now livability it's preservation of livability <laughs> but you know yeah. and it, it 
part of me wonders, well, like, why couldn't we walk and chew gum at the same time right. and, like, focus on that stuff while wow. we were doing the economic development deals? And I think that's been a big criticism of people in that field of mm -hmm. economic development is, like, the, they do things sort of in a silo because some of these deals happen kind of secretly. Right. So they're not coordinating with the planning department and transportation experts on, like, how to do this in a way that doesn't cause a whole bunch of traffic congestion and a bunch of trees to get chopped down. Right. Um, um, but okay. So now that we've let this genie out of the bottle and all these were an attractive place to do business and all these companies are coming here and mm -hmm. it's, it's now like building one deal on top of each other, you know, it's, it's sort of continuing to happen. You know, if, if we don't really put measures in place, to guide the growth in a way that preserves livability and sustainability. And I believe that key to that right. is getting transit in on major corridors. Right. Um, then, you know, we're, we will, as the old saying goes, end up a lot like Atlanta, where you have, you know, you're driving through Atlanta and your GPS says, stay in the left five lanes. <laughs> And during during peak period, all five lanes are full. Right. And it's it's the impact of that on quality of life and yeah. air pollution and equity. How so, okay, as how do we overcome that? Like, mm -hmm. what what decisions need to be made, and and and, and kind of what kind of power do Dash Williams have? And making that happen, mm -hmm. um, in, in in getting those measures in there, because I think everybody's talking about it, right? Hey, we need this. This traffic is crazy. I know we was talking about it. You know, when you came in, like if depending which way you're going, if you're not on the road by two o'clock mm -hmm. or three o'clock, is you're gonna be, you might as well just stay where you are. Um, and Nashville didn't didn't used to be like that. Like you right. can go from one side 10, 15 minutes, you there, um, and it's getting ridiculous. And I think so. Everybody is. And I'm pretty sure people are probably in their car now listening to this in traffic probably, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And so what needs to happen? Because I think people are like, don't know that answer, I think. Mm -hmm. And then who has the power to make it happen? Is it council? Is it the mayor? Is it and both? Um, is it is it metro planning? Is it a collaboration? Um, where does the money need to come from? Talking about a dedicated fund for transit, like, mm -hmm. like because I think, um, again, going into the next um, mayoral election, which is you know twenty twenty three, we also have some council members you know up for uh, re-election and seats opening there too. Like, how does all that synergy kind of like how how is that synergy connected in in what happens or what doesn't happen? Right. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I think there is some. Um assumptions um being made in our community about that are really armchair you know like um uh, you know this is what i think assumption you know uh -huh. about why the referendum failed in right. 2018 and you know how the saying goes when you assume you make an ass out of you and me right. okay <laughs> um there there has been um some sort of take at an exit poll on on that campaign and that uh uh, referendum that the chamber did and it showed that the resignation of Mayor Barry occurring right smack in the middle of that push 
played an outsized role in the referendum's mm. failure. And that makes sense because a lot of the um, ask to the voter to, to push the button for it was hinged upon her campaigning for it, her 92% approval rating, you know, her plan. And so when, you know, she resigned in the mm. middle of it, I think confidence in the metropolitan government's ability to deliver on that program went out the window with it. Right. Um, and so we really need to sort of view 2018 as a first effort out the gate and the resignation occurring in that in the middle of that as an anomaly and an unfortunate disservice to the community mm -hmm. in terms of how many years we've lost um, right. in terms of what WeGo needs to innovate or right. even to provide better bus service today, right. as well as to get started on a future vision for something that will guide the growth in the way that I've been talking about, such as fixed, what, we're, what we call fixed guideway transit. And mm -hmm. that doesn't matter if it's bus rapid transit or light rail transit, but it's, it's a lane for WeGo to operate their service without sitting in traffic congestion and, right. and getting, you know, sidetracked in terms of their performance by people sitting in their cars driving alone, <laughs> which is what's currently happening. Um, and so transit's not going to be competitive until we're able to build something where WeGo's operating in their own right of way. I remember seeing like signs of like vote against transit plan and all of these things. Um, outside of like what was happening with Mayor Megan Berry, was it also maybe community members not wanting other community members in their community? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think in the southeastern United States, we do have a stigma about public transportation that we need to get over and get right. beyond. And the again, the fact that we've embraced economic development overall the past you know couple of decades we have a lot of new people moving here who are coming here from cities like boston or san francisco where they've had access to heavy rail transit their entire lives and mm -hmm. they get here and they're like where's the transit right. that's a benefit you know mm -hmm. of, of having those new folks come here and if we can get them in the mix and encourage them to vote and right. tax themselves um i think as I, as I mentioned, I think we favor low tax environments in the Southeast and perhaps a full penny on the sales tax in 2018 was a bridge too far. You can poll that, by the way. Mm -hmm. You can, you know, get a, a, a poll back out there and ask folks like, you know, um, do you agree traffic congestion is a problem? Right. If so, do you think public transportation is a key part of the solution? Right. If so, would you be willing to pay for it? Mm -hmm. If so, what would you be willing to put on the table in right. terms of a tax? Once you get down into the what you would be willing to, would you be willing to pay for it and what, mm -hmm. that's where it starts to become more evenly split 50-50. Right. And that's where you really have to put forward a campaign to convince, you know, that sort of moderate middle, which right. is always the case like in a presidential election, you're... You know, the left and the right are kind of baked in on where they are. You're, right. you're competing for that moderate, undecided in the middle right. and persuade them to go your way right. um, and that they're going to reap the benefit of it. <clears throat> what are other alternatives outside of public transportation? <laughs> <laughs> because, like, you know, like, 
Like what 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 have you heard anything else be proposed mm -hmm. outside of uh, amp or light rail or something like that that will help with congestion and also just help with livability? Mm -hmm. Well, I think there's probably still an overriding misconception that adding more lanes of traffic will help help, help ease the traffic, right? Okay. Like I think if you were to like ask the general public like what's out there in terms of solutions, they're, they're going to put more lanes on the table as okay. a part of their list, or then they're going to put traffic signal synchronization on their list. Um, I believe the Cooper administration has been working with TDOT on a traffic operations center and some signal resync stuff. You can cut into congestion very modestly with technology like mm -hmm. signal improvements and, and TOCs, like, very moderately right. adding a lane again i mentioned atlanta right. six lanes in either direction because right. of their development patterns and they didn't orient their right. their new people and their new development around marta when they got that in the mm -hmm. 1990s they just continue to sprawl out in a suburbia they've got six lanes in either direction and they're all full so you know adding lanes isn't a solution i think good leaders or smart leaders of this community need to lead and they need to tell the citizens of Nashville that congestion is here. Right. It's going to get worse because we're going to continue to grow as a city. All cities in the Sunbelt part of the United States are, are on a growth spurt because right. tax, high tax environments in places like the Northeast and the West Coast and mm -hmm. all those places are super heavily populated and congested. So they're all coming here. Right. Um, so our only choice is to give people alternatives to get around congestion. Right. Um, you know, if you've been to New York City, like, you know, getting on the expressway to Long Island is like, you know, you're fighting for your life and it's, it's congested every <laughs> single day. But right. You have the Long Island Railroad. You right. can get on if you don't want to get in that. Exactly. You have the MTA. You have an alternative. You have a bike lane on on a New York City street that you can mm -hmm. that you can get in. There's there's a huge number of trips that we could capture that are short hop, like right. three to seven mile trips. That if we had a bikeway network, all those trips could potentially go in there. So we're never going to get rid of congestion or cause it to go down. It's really about we have a limited um, amount of space. Like mm -hmm. the streets have been the same since the 1950s, 60s, 70s. They're not going anywhere. Right. We're not widening Nolansville Pike right into the very businesses and homes that people are trying to access. That's right. a non-starter. But what we can do is like give people alternatives to get around congestion. And that's where we have a major challenge in that we haven't funded those modes appropriately. If you were at a mayoral panel, right, and the topic is transit, what questions or demands um, would you be asking those mayoral candidates mm -hmm. around transit? Yeah, well, so the current mayor went to the trouble of having the council pass legislation to endorse, I believe, a $2 billion transportation um, plan that had some... Um, I think it might have had some BRT corridors proposed as part of it. They didn't include anything uh, rail-wise other than improvements to the WeGo Star. Um, but, you know, I would be asking, you know, where are we on 
you know, bringing in the opportunistic funding that was pledged as part of, you know, asking the council to endorse that as the program of priorities for the city. Mm -hmm. um, and to the extent that opportunistic funding hasn't been wildly successful, what, what, is, what is the course of action, you know, on a second term right. for getting dedicated funding to, you know, getting the full $2 billion and build out every single thing on this list that you put forward and ask council right. to endorse right. um, and the timeline for, for doing that. Um, so, you know, the 2018 referendum, I also think was somewhat hamstrung by, um, and there, there were probably good reasons to do this, but putting on a May Democratic primary with the hopes that it being a Democratic primary, it's going to be mostly Democrats that come out who are going to be more friendly toward an, a tax increase. And so it'll pass because we've, we've, you know, kind of stuck it on this May right. random primary. Well, that turned out not to be the case. Instead, Republicans came out in droves to vote against it. Mm -hmm. So if the um, thinking is, if we want to try to get funding for transit again, which because of the state enabling legislation on the IMPROVE Act, we're sort of constrained in how we can pursue going about getting new taxes um, for WeGo and for um, other modes of transportation. We have to do it by referendum. Mm -hmm. Are we thinking we want to do it on a presidential election? Right. If so, those are occurring in 2024 and 2028. So if you're running for mayor, are you making 2024 part of your campaign for that office in 2023? Right. Or are you realistically going to spend your first term putting together another plan and going back out to the community and asking them what they'd like to fund and... Right. How would they fund it to gear up for 2028? <laughs> and then what does Nashville look like in 2028? Right. Looks, because, looks more congested than it is today. Yeah, because we're building the city right now. Right. right? There's like 20 cranes in the sky right, right now. Right. And you would think it would make it harder to build any type of transit after the building. It's like, okay, we, we went through the con congestion because it was the building was happening, so we had to find alternate routes. Now that it's done, we figured, you know, we, we got our streets back. We can go our shortcuts. Oh, well, no, no, we can't because now we have to implement transit that may take, who knows, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years to complete. Right, yeah. You know, if, if we know that, you know, a BRT or a rail quarter is coming on Nolansville Pike mm -hmm. and a developer is coming along today knowing that land values are going up astronomically and they want to be opportunistic and make their money putting in a mixed-use high-rise right. development on Nolansville Pike, is the planning department right now working with them to set that building back appropriately to where WeGo can get in there with their own dedicated land or are they just letting it slide Right. You know, um, or is that mixed-use high-rise high development even happening? Because right. transit's, you know, not there to the extent that it needs to be, and it's not necessarily coming in terms of a fixed guideway and the way mm -hmm. that can focus development. And so, you know, as a result, are we just getting more subdivisions in our greenfield out in, right. you know, greater Bellevue? I'm hearing you talk about this, and I'm being like completely informed. 
<laughs> about this process, and I'm pretty sure the listeners and the watchers are too. And it makes me ask, like, where are these conversations happening at now, mm-hmm. if they're happening? I mean, there's a small constituency of people that I think are very interested in this topic, mm-hmm. you know, like folks that are connected to the Civic Design Center and um, the Transit Alliance, actually. I'm in their Citizen Leadership Academy right now, um, and that's just a lot of community leaders, but also just average Davidson County residents who are interested in this topic and wanting to learn more about it. And Mm -hmm. if you're, you know, if you're really interested in it, that'd be a good, it's like just a six week training program on bringing you along on all what's happened to date and where we go. Cause we all affected by Mm -hmm. it. Right. And and I feel like it's, it's, it should be, it's a crisis. Yeah. We we have, we have a congestion traffic crisis. It's like we have a, education, you know, and unhoused, affordable housing. Like, we, there's many crises. And I feel like <laughs> they all are up there right. on that high tip of, like, top tier level. But it seems like the transit conversation, I think it's a little more complex. I think people understand, like, education. People understand, like, okay, housing a little, a little better than, like, okay, well, transit. Like, what does that mean? And who does that? And right. Like, like, how do I get involved with that? And right. that's why I ask, like, where these conversations happen. Because we hear people every day talking about this natural traffic. Oh, my gosh. Right. And it's a transit thing. But it's like, okay, where where can we build community around this and, and figure out, okay, who do we need to apply account, some type of accountability to yeah. or some type of political pressure to, to like, no, we don't need to be waiting until 2028. Yeah, <laughs> we need to be talking about. We need to be figuring out something like yesterday. Right, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think there is a um, sort of skeleton version of the coalition left from the 2018 referendum mm. of those community groups that were for it. Right, um, that are still meeting and talking about how to regroup. I do think that we're missing some key top line leadership voices, um, from our major institutions and from our elected leadership on not having a defeatist attitude about what happened in 2018, understanding that the resignation played a role in its failure, understanding that maybe, you know, a rail heavy proposal with a, you know, the tunnel and everything built into it that required a full penny on the sales tax, Mm -hmm. you know, just, you know, we could just scale it back from there. And just even if we were to get over the hump of not being in the only two, you know, know, one of only two cities in the top 40 U.S. metros where the bus system doesn't have dedicated funding, you know, let's just take WeGo off the metro rolls, you know, and and get them their their own revenue source. Let's maybe start with that and see if the voter would go for that on the ballot. Um, You know, I, I think we just need to get our mojo back on this, Uh, on this subject, honestly, and not give up. And that's what leaders are supposed to do. They're Mm -hmm. supposed to, um, you know, when a setback happens, Mm -hmm. just stay positive and, and, and learn from like why it wasn't successful specifically, like get really specific and, and Mm -hmm. then, and then try again. And really believe in it, you know? Don't just do it because you think it's what is good for you politically or, right. like, you know, everybody's kind of in your ear saying, like, this is what needs to happen. We need champions for public transportation. Right. 
that really understand its power mm -hmm. to connect people to opportunity, to right. transform cities, and to bring Nashville into the 21st century. And 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 I want to hit on this, and we you brought it up, but the equity piece. Mm -hmm. um, help us understand how does public transportation create equity in a city like Nashville where we know like gentrification is coming, there's this, this, this ran rapid. Um, we're still in the South, you know, still very really a diverse, but segregatedly diverse city. Mm -hmm. um, people are still in their community pockets. How does, how, in, 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 in you talk about like bus lanes, uh, bicycle lanes, where those even are, right? Um, may not be dispersed equitably throughout the city as well. How does, um, public transportation in a, in a good transportation public transportation plan create that equity for those communities that are affected by the most? Mm -hmm. Well, um, I'll just share a personal anecdote. Um, you know, when I, um, I grew up in Nashville and when I was admitted to magnet school in the seventh grade, I went to the ma magnet school seven through 12. Um, you know, my, what school? What school was that? Uh, Meg's Magnet and oh, Meg's, also and okay. Fog. Okay, yeah. so you told so I went to head. Okay. I didn't go to MLK though. I know, but yeah. that's a tunnel. I went, I went to, to Pearl. head fifth and sixth. Okay, Meg seventh and eighth. Um, but uh, you know, I lived in uh, Bellevue and a single parent household. You know, my mom worked for a living. There was no way I was getting to the magnet school without riding MTA. Right. Um, and so I had that lesson to where when I graduated from college, I had a ton of debt. And in order to like try and get ahead on paying down that debt, I needed to not get a car right out of college when I started my working life. And so I specifically located uh, myself in an apartment on an Indigo bus line mm -hmm. in Indianapolis to where I could plot out my commute trip from home to work. And right. then I just leaned on friends the rest of the time. And I did that for a couple of years mm -hmm. so that I could get out of debt. And so that's an example of, you know, when the barrier to getting into car ownership is right. multiple thousands of dollars mm -hmm. and you simply don't have it, like the cost of right. owning, operating and maintaining a vehicle is around $9,000 per year. Mm -hmm. You know, if you were to just take that expenditure off limited income households right off the bat by having a good transit system, you've got more money for medicine. You've got more money for housing. Like your housing costs all of a sudden it's, you know, even if it's high, it's more, it's more attainable, you know, I, if you, if you don't have to have that car. And then the other piece of it for me is one third of the population does not drive mm. too young. So they don't have a license. Right. Too old. Right. Too poor mm. or disabled. Mm. What does our community look like? If the barrier of transportation is taken away for all those right. populations to where our seniors are able to volunteer at our nonprofits, right. our youth who might be getting in trouble are able to get, you know, a job at Baskin Robbins, right. you know, um, our disabled population is able to get better health care right. or, you know, go to the Frist Museum when right. they want. I mean... Right. If you're for equity, you're for transit because right. all of those people need to use the system. And in right. cities where there's a good transit system, they are. Um, wow. No, that's amazing. And I thought about it. You think you took me back living abroad, right? You talking about mm -hmm. 
leaving your, you know, your your homegrown city or state and looking at what other cities do. In my case, looking at what other countries have done. And I had um I was fortunate to live in China for two years. Right. You talking about public transportation. Right. <laughs> like through the whole country efficiently. Like you do not have to have a car. And I and 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 not like living in all of these different countries I had the opportunity to, I never needed a car. Right. Because like being in the Philippines or Italy or Costa Rica or or China or Paraguay, like never having to think about a car because it was sufficient, well calculated and put together public transportation and majority of people used it. Right. right. For, and then it alleviates their cost. And when I come back to the United States, it's like it's like I have to get a car if I want to get to this job. And then it's like, okay, I gotta get the car. Then I gotta get car insurance, mm-hmm. right? Because anything can happen. And then of course, like, gotta get have car maintenance. So a t- tire will be flat, or oil change will be something is gonna happen. Right. Right. And so, like, those are all funds that at any moment I I could have to spend five hundred dollars for a repair or even just a um deductible at right. any moment that I might not even have. Right. And so like I do want to just offer that while we were pushing for the referendum in 2018, you know, the conservatives who are going to be against something like that, a lot of which are Koch brothers funded, are going to come out of the woodwork anyway and launch mm-hmm. a campaign against it. And they're going to throw out a lot of misinformation and conservative talking points because really when it comes down to it they're just anti-tax like they don't necessarily care that it's for public transit they just right. they don't want to be they don't want to pay for it in print yeah in <laughs> principle they don't want more taxes right. to pass and so in nashville's case i think there's a lot of work to be done before we go back out to lock up the left mm-hmm. and that includes our equity advocates and our affordable housing advocates and i think there's still more education to be done around exactly what we were just talking about, that mm-hmm. the, the high household cost of transportation is right. really neck and neck mm-hmm. with, with the high cost of rent and, and mortgage with right. our housing affordability crisis, and mm-hmm. that we, we have the legislative authority under the IMPROVE Act where you know a super, Republican supermajority at the state mm-hmm. gave Nashville permission to go on the ballot to get additional funds for WeGo and for walking and biking, which are also free to no low cost transportation, building those facilities, um, sidewalks and bike lanes where we don't have that for affordable housing yet. We have, we can do the Barnes fund through the Metro general fund and things like that, but we do not have legislative authority from the state to pass $5.4 billion in capital funds for affordable housing subsidy at right. this time. And so, you know, just, it's not a competition. You right. know, if we get rid of one huge household expenditure for people of limited income, limited mm-hmm. and low income, that's a huge success for our community. And we need to all get on board the right. next time we have this opportunity. And, you know, in some of our African-American precincts, it got voted down 80 to 90%. Mm. And that to me is heartbreaking because those communities, I think, stood the most to gain from access to quality and affordable mm-hmm. uh, why transportation. Do you believe that, why do you believe that happened? Or what was the, I guess, what was the feedback after it happened that, you know, you realized that, you know, the majority of the African-American community did not want the 
So derailed. I think there was some concern about the sales tax. <clears throat> the sales tax was um, the lion's share of what the program, you know, was going to bring in in terms of the funding. Right. There's just the state enabling legislation that I mentioned says to Nashville, you can't like invent new mechanisms by which to tax people to do this. You mm -hmm. can only select from what's already legal and on the books. And so of those available to us, you know, we did Hotel Motel, which by the way, I think is on the table for the Titan Stadium. That's something that transit advocates need to be asking about on mm -hmm. those discussions. If, if we max out on that, it right. might no longer be available for WeGo. But then there was like business tax, rental car tax, but the bulk of it was the sales tax. And it is a regressive tax. However, you know, there were things built into the program to where if you were very low income, if you qualified for, you know, public benefits, for example, you could also get a pass to ride the transit system for free. Mm. So even if you were maybe paying more um, in the sales tax, like if you really can't afford it, you're going to be able to get on that bus for free. That was right. in the program. I think it was under communicated. Okay. Um, and then I think concerns around, you know, if we have a rail line, you know, or a BRT line going up uh, through North Nashville, it's just going to exacerbate gentrification. Right. And I, I, I disagree with that very cynical assumption about something that's well off into the future that working with leader leadership and, and the community, there's plenty of opportunity to, to right. mitigate those concerns as things are getting built, but things are already gentrifying anyway. Right. It's gentrifying right now. So right. like, why not offer the people who are still living there mm -hmm. access to, um, infrastructure right. that they've been saying has been missing from those communities for generations, right. you know, and then put measures in place to the extent that we can to preserve the affordability of the real estate around those transit corridors as they get built, which there was a lot of recommendations that came out through the transit and affordability tax task force that Mayor Berry convened about tools mm -hmm. that we could do as those rail corridors or BRT corridors were getting built to sort of, preserve what, what was there and give people an opportunity to still live there and get mm. on the bus right. or get on the train as it gets built. So preservation, you bring up preserve preservation. What, what does that look like at this point <laughs> <laughs> for Nashville? Because I think, I, I think as growth is, is also a topic and I think, you know, people know growth is happening. It's going to happen. It's already happening. Um, preservation means something too. Of being able to still keep a soul of a city, still keep its home feeling and it's this Nashville just buzz and feeling where, you know, it's not a New York, it's not a Chicago, it's not a California, right? Mm -hmm. um, I don't think, I don't think the the people that have been here generations wanted to be that, mm -hmm. um, right? Um, but with the growth, it's happening. You know, we get probably just as much foot traffic as the Madison Square. Right. You know, that's happening in New York that we do in on Broadway, mm -hmm. right? As far as compared to population and ratio. So how what what does that look like in even in the sustainability world, right? Mm -hmm. Preservation for Nashville to keep that soul and like not turn into a New York of the South or uh a California of the South. Right, yeah. Well Or is it too late? 
I mean, <laughs> land values are really high here right, right now. So like where, where I live, kind of in the Westmead Highlands area, um, you know, the older housing stock from like the 60s, 70s, and 80s, really 60s, 70s, is getting torn down. Mm -hmm. And because the land values are so high, like a 9,000 square foot mansion is going up in its place, you know, mm. because that's what the developer needs right. to turn a profit when the land costs, the dirt underneath costs that much money. Right. Um, and so who can afford to get in that square footage of a house? Yeah. Like not middle class. Right, upper class. Yeah, yeah. Very <laughs> yeah. upper, very right. upper class, uh, uh, more affluent people are going into those homes. So, I mean, when the land values are that high, I think we are going to have to keep returning to density as a solution because number one, we're just short on housing stock period. Mm -hmm. Like there's just not a whole lot out there, No, no. you know, and density enables you to get more, like more right. on the market. We've done a great job because of our tourism industry, building a ton of hotels right. in recent years. Like if you look at all these cranes mm -hmm. that are up right now, it's a lot I, of them. I bet a good, good number of them are hotel. Yeah. Um, and so there's a market for that because our tourism industry is booming, but you know, housing, I think not having transit in place is going to continue to hold us back because every time you look at doing a dense development, you know, particularly near the urban core, if the transit just isn't there and it's not robust, it's not fixed guideway, it's not like it is in major cities, all of those like lending agencies and um, the, the, the people that are doing this for money mm -hmm. are going to look at parking and a parking spot in like downtown midtown can run in terms of the construction cost as well as the land value around 18 to $20,000 per spot. Wow. So if we had transit in place, not only would we be able to get more housing built and, you know, add to the quantity of what people are able to like select from in the market, mm -hmm. but you could defer that eighteen to twenty thousand dollars per parking space right. onto your subsidy or just whatever the developer needs to charge to make the rent or the mortgage more attainable for somebody based on what they're making. Right. So, you know, that's that's a major thing that's happening right now is that banks that are lending developers are requiring them to add all this parking right. and when you're doing it in a dense environment you have to do structure parking and that's very expensive do you think that the lack of public transportation could also turn into a downfall and people could start leaving at some point yeah i think i mean i think if you were to talk to people leaving Atlanta, that's probably the number you know, one. Yeah, that would reason. that might be they're just tired of fighting the traffic congestion, right. the air quality concerns. Right. Um, you know, I mean, a lot of people are working from home now, so maybe you know having a flex arrangement with their employer where they're mm. doing a three-two or a two-three. Yeah. yeah, it's not as much of a concern, but um, that could change. I mean. Los Angeles, a lot of people love living in L.A., and you simply just have to plan an hour right. to get from point A to point B if you're in Angelino. 
who wants to do that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so that's, again, it kind of goes back to a value statement. Yeah. Like, what does Nashville want to be and are we willing to pay for it? You yeah. know, I've got now in my area, there's an active sort of like not in my backyard campaign for a suburban development and what is currently cherished rural countryside Um you know, sort of on the side of town that I live in. Yeah. And it's like, how many of those same people that are against this development coming to the, their, their neighborhood also voted against transit? Right. Did they connect the dots that voting down funding fixed guideway transit to where we could focus development on the corridors that can handle it? Like mm-hmm. downtown can handle new, new people and, all day long because right. they've got the infrastructure, they've got the like the electricity poles, they've got the wastewater and right. sewer, they've they've got WeGo service, right? And you know that just needs to expand out to mm-hmm. our major pikes that are were built on an old streetcar system right. when Nashville <laughs> was first built. Our, right. You know they're they're we'll be talking about this if we don't get it built to a generation from now because the streets aren't going to change. It's just a matter of how do we move more people through the existing right of way. Play play that episode from 2022. (laughs) Right, right. From 30 years ago. Right. Mary Beth said the exact same thing. (laughs) Wouldn't that be wild? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Hopefully hopefully we ain't at that point. But I, I believe in Nashville. I believe that, you know, especially like if we could somehow engage a lot of the new people that are coming here mm-hmm. who who come from transit rich cities right um, you know even if the transit rich city is like orlando right. you know they've had an experience to where they understand yeah. the value and they see what's missing it's it's it's, it's, it's yeah, it breaks my heart to say this but it i think because Nashville is a, is a major city, is or getting to that point where it's a real major city now. But the people that grew up here, right, we're still like town folk mindset, like mm-hmm. right, like. And I think the new people that are coming from these major cities is going to help us mm-hmm. <laughs> um, push forward. Because it was if it was up to maybe just us, maybe that doesn't happen. Right. Um, because we don't even know what that looks like. We never experience. We never. We never experienced. We just know what we know. Right. Right. And you have these other folks coming from these other cities. Like, no, oh, this could, like, this could work here, and it could be a lot a better living experience for everyone. Uh, if you don't like the the current traffic situation that is happening every single day. Right. Um, You'd ask me about preservation and I kind of want to go back to that because I had another thought but in terms of what we should be asking our mayoral candidates about next year um, you know what asks are we putting on the table to the development community Mm. in terms of you know you know Metro doesn't have a whole lot of money to like build stuff you know it's not it's not Metro that's building the city right now it's It's the the private it's the private sector Mm -hmm. that's you know putting in the sidewalks and the street trees with their projects as they go in or Mm -hmm. uh taking down trees or preserving them as they as they go in or you know doing the grading that could result in really severe stormwater impacts you know as the climate changes and you know, what are we getting out of the development community? Like, w- what's on the table f- in terms of, like, what we're asking them for right. as, they're do- as they're putting their capital forward to build their projects? Right. Um, and have we codified any of that in terms of policy? Mm-hmm. Um, because I think, 
you know, just having a vision and a focus because, you know, you could say, we want developers to do any number of things. We want them to have like, you know, living wages. We want them to put, you know, preserve open space for public park access. We want them to do a certain number of affordable housing units. We want them to, you know, add X number of, or preserve X number of trees, uh, sidewalks, you know, bury the power lines, whatever it is, mm -hmm. you know, like, and probably a lot of that's happening on a case by case basis. And it depends on how active and engaged your council member is in the development review process. We're right. working with planning, but do we, do we have sort of a, a list of priorities that we're engaging the private sector on to where we're maximizing the opportunities as they're building the city for us Right. Um, to where until we, do better in terms of getting more resources out of the public sector and the public sector do more, you know, what are we asking on the private sector and where's there, is there accountability there? Mm. Mayor Beth, this is, this has been a, this has been a master class, I think for <laughs> most of us <laughs> that's like, cause you like being able to, I think clearly explain and kind of plainly explain how transit housing equity sustainability preservation that's kind of all connected right and how how one could alleviate the other if done right and it's not got to be a co competition it's like if we can get this great you know then we can tackle the other thing and if we can get we can do one and two at the same time that's perfect too mm -hmm. um but it's not a it's not a competition like we need it all right, right. as, as nash williams we need it all in, in where we're going um and so i kind of just want to i want to close I, I always give all my guests the, the close. Yeah. And so I want you to close with just, if it's something else that you want to extrapolate on, something that we didn't hit on, mm -hmm. um, or if it's a question that I should have asked that I didn't ask and you can answer it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, 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 I want us to just, I want to give you that, that time and space because again, I think this, I think this conversation was so crucial and pivotal as someone that has experienced our last three mayors, those administrations, and kind of just seen, even from a policy and just expertise level of like, okay, this is what's is going to happen mm -hmm. if this doesn't happen, and and what do those measures look like, and how people can engage or should be engaging, or questions they should be asking, or things they should be demanding, so we can have a better livable, equitable, and just just city. Mm -hmm. As we want to enjoy this growth, we don't want to be a heartache. Right. Like, ah, we're growing, but sheesh, you know, hey, I got to wake up two hours before I even have to wake up to go to work just to make it to work on time. Right. You know, type of thing. So I want to give you that space and that time. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, so I, recently there's been a, yet another public engagement effort going on um, in terms of mobility downtown. I think it's called Connect Downtown. It's the planning process. Um, we've had a downtown transportation plan done before when Convention Center got built. Um, and so I think Nashville, a lot of people would agree that we're really great at doing like plan studies and task forces and committee recommendations <laughs> and like, you know, just a lot of like, um, generating generating ideas mm -hmm. that don't actually, you know, not a whole lot of it gets implemented. Right. And then people forget about it. And then we have to, like, go through a whole nother planning exercise. <laughs> I like to think that maybe the planning fatigue is, you know, like, next level at this point. Right. And just, you know, the answer to that question is, like, what do you want to see happen in terms of 
mobility downtown right. the answer should be anything right something <laughs> um so if like for example like we have a hub and spoke transit system i know for a fact that because of the over tourism down in lower broad that mta's buses leaving wego central are getting hung up at four and five light cycles mm -hmm. you know on their southbound corridors or even their like their if you want to go to the airport if you want to experience this just get on any southbound bus right. from we go central around rush hour and sit through four and five life cycles at you know fifth and broad or wherever it is and you'll understand how on-time performance is being affected system-wide because of the activity downtown right. and so that is a real equity concern like why why should MTA's buses, you know, if they want to add frequency, have to be bunching up or delayed because right. we can't seem to figure out a way for them to get through downtown in right. a way that's seamless for that entire hub and spoke system, which hub and spoke is not going away right. anytime soon. And so, you know, I'd like to see somebody just blow it up and, <laughs> and do a tactical ur urbanism, you know, install of some bus lanes. Uh -huh. And say, you know, we're going to take advantage of whatever special event is going on in downtown right now mm -hmm. to just, we're going to announce it. We're going to pilot this bus lane. And if it bombs, we've announced it as a experiment, right. you know, and, it, and we're going to see how we go does as right. a result, you know, as they go through their routes through the rest of the county as a result of giving them some space to move in and through downtown. Don't know if we don't try. Right, exactly. Another area of opportunity might be, you know, Seattle apparently added a ton of jobs um, in their downtown over, you know, 20, 25 year period of time without adding the commensurate number of cars. Mm. I think we've just, Councilmember Sharon Hurt did like a voluntary piece of legislation where she was asking, you know, any major employer going into a very dense building downtown to just go and meet with WeGo mm -hmm. about, you know, um, joining the easy ride program for their employees. And right. that, I think they do that, but it's more like checking a box, but can we be firmer with our major employers downtown about getting their employees to, to, like join the easy ride program, right. you know, where they're subsidizing bus passes to the extent that they're subsidizing, you know, 18 to $20,000 per parking spaces mm -hmm. and, and, and put a little bit of money, put a little skin in the game and helping our transit system. It's not all in the public sector, you right. know? And then, you know, I think on our, our climate goals, it kind of goes hand in hand with the transit conversation and that if we want to be a world-class attractive to young people and creative professionals, you know, 21st century city, um, you know, we, sustainability, you know, needs to be more, I think on par with a lot of our other, other priorities. Right. And, you know, that, that the only real way to cut into pollution carbon pollution is either to invest massive amounts of money in infrastructure like light rail or transit or, you know, anaerobic digesters for composting or whatever it is, and then regulation on the private sector. And that's very difficult to do politically, particularly with when you have an activist state legislature that wants to potentially preempt whatever Nashville wants to do on that front, especially if it's for the environment. Right. <laughs> um, you know, even though there's huge public health and equity benefits to anything you do to make, you know, the environment cleaner. Right. Um, you know, it's just starting to do more to 
cut into the, the sources of pollution in our community, and mm -hmm. that's our buildings, the utility sector, so right. TVA and NES, our, our waste diversion. Right. Like, for, from what I understand, the landfills in Murfreesboro, where our, all of our regular trash goes, and then the construction and demolition landfill in Bordeaux are totally at capacity. Mm. So what's the plan for right. dealing with the landfills closing? Um, like, you see, these things is like every <laughs> everyday people. We, I don't think we're thinking about these things. Yeah. Like, we just we think about them when they affect us. Right. Right. We don't think about like how can we get in front of it so they won't affect us. Well, when your trash and recycling gets more expensive because we have to ship it to, to Kentucky, then you'll know. That's you'll you'll know why, and that's again a symptom of our growth. Like there's just too many people right. throwing away too much stuff as just the the byproduct of living their lives. Right. That it's causing the land landfills to right. fill up and so and then we also have like you know an issue around the like i said the land values being so high that you know are we doing enough to preserve what we want to preserve to have a really good park system right you know in the year 2030 or 2040 where right. even even when you're in the densest neighborhood in new york city you can walk along and there's a community garden or a mm -hmm. pocket park that makes you feel like there's a little patch of green right. in the midst of all, all the gray. Right. And that's an area of concern as well, yeah. you know. Yeah, hopefully so. we'll turn into a concrete jungle. Yeah, you know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, you know, we, we, you know, that's what, I guess even just being in the South, having this land and having like the, the greenery and the, like that's part of like, like living here and being here, being able to explore and have that and not be on top of one another if we don't have to. So mm -hmm. hopefully we can, we can do something, but like, this has been powerful. Um, definitely got to have you back because I just like having these type of conversations. I know I don't even like have them often enough as I should be because I think just even my proximity to like understanding like what is happening, um, like before it happens in impact community, mm -hmm. which I think, you know, being more proactive than reactive. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what you've like really taught us that we like it's for, for transit it's a little too late. Like we're being like kind of reactive for mm -hmm. that. But it's like a lot of other things that if we don't get transit, it's going to affect air pollution and, and um, sustainability and all of those things where we can kind of, we need to get ahead of before more people, continue to come and it starts affecting those things even more right. um like even from the i didn't even think about the trash. i didn't even think about that like oh like yeah my, my trash bill mm -hmm. <laughs> could be another major expense if we don't figure out something with, with what we're doing with this growth right. and how can we lessen how much trash we throw away or is it a recycling thing whatever we figure out that's 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 been the kind of eye opening. And I, and I and I hope and believe the people that are watching and listening to this, like you've been able to take away, like something, from like planning and sustainability and like, like twenty twenty three is gonna be a very crucial year of what happens or what doesn't happen in Nashville, depending on who we elect mm -hmm. or don't elect. <laughs> yeah. And so I appreciate you uh, being able to lay that out like like greatly in, in a very like articulate, sophisticated, but clear and plain way. It like anybody if you just was 
listening to this in your car and know nothing about transit, if you just moved to Nashville five days ago, like you now understand what we've been and what we tried to do, <laughs> what didn't happen, and like where we need to be going now. Well, I hope so. And I hope that Nashvillians um, and Americans in general can learn to just think a little bit less like short-termers yeah. and a little bit more toward the, the, the long game because a lot of these questions and challenges are um, like the year is 2022. If it hasn't been accomplished by now, it's probably it's because it's a really tough and complex challenge to solve. Mm -hmm. And so that a lot, a lot of times that requires a long, a long game, a long-term strategy, and that requires all of us right. to think less about ourselves right. and more about the broader community and more beyond just the next four-year election cycle. And, and what I've realized, talking to folks like yourself and just being in community organizing and things like that, are decisions, things that we are seeing, we are seeing being done today. Those decisions were being put together 10, 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's like things are happening now. People are having discussions in, in silos somewhere. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Making these big decisions, right? Um, and I, that's why I think like like being involved in like knowing what's happening at the council and on these like metro, like these planning committees and all of these things where zone, all of these things are being mm -hmm. decided by like people from the community. Right. right. A lot of these, you know, you don't have to be like someone that like special and, and a, like just be a resident. Right. right. And you can sit on many of these these commissions and these committees and things. Right. Um, and be a part of like what's happening and not what's happening and what's happening or what won't happen. Um, and also be able to inform others like, hey, right. like we're voting on this. Like come come to this meeting or, you know, did you know this was happening? Right. Because when it happens, it's, it's too late. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, we heard a lot during the refer transit referendum of people who voted against it because knowing that it would take, you know, 10 to 15 years to get from, you know, uh, you know funding a light rail uh -huh. project to a ribbon cutting, right. a lot of folks said, well, I'm not, I might not even be in Nashville, or I might be dead. Or, you know, and so I remember on Mayor Cooper's first day in office, he had a sit-in staged in his lobby by the Sunrise Movement of uh -huh. Climate Activists yep. because young people mm -hmm. understand that they're about to inherit the lack of action mm -hmm. on, on reducing carbon pollution that right. former generation has, generations yeah. have saddled them, mm -hmm. them with. And so, you know... I, I would just invite people to, if you are going to be a Nashvillian, if, even right. if you're just moved here, right? Um, you know, think about what you want the community to be uh, beyond the next four-year election cycle right. and organize yourselves, right? you know, and... Um, How can people organize themselves if, around transit specifically? Where can people kind of get organized um, and... Where can people get organized and, and, and build community around transit and be informed and, you know, take direct action in some type of way, form or fashion as well? Mm -hmm. Well, the two main transit advocacy nonprofits in Nashville are called Transit Now Nashville okay. um, and the Transit Alliance of Middle Tennessee. The Transit Alliance of Middle Tennessee was formed... Um, 
really to sort of morph into a pack when it was time to go for referendums to where they could do some political spending on ads and things like that to get a winning campaign. Um, Transit Now Nashville is, I would say, less focused than that and um, more informal. But I think both of those organizations probably need a nod from leadership, whether it be from the business community or elected officials, that there's hope for us going back out to referendum and that that it's coming and when so that, Mm -hmm. you know, we need we need to know that we need to get serious about gearing up and what does that look like and how do we reach people to convince them that this is the right thing to do in terms of taxing ourselves to generate the revenues that we need for a shared community benefit and infrastructure, which is expensive. Um, But even just getting involved in your neighborhood association, Mm -hmm. um, like if you have specific things that you would like we go to do on existing bus service. Right. You know, if we go knows that, you know, a ridership cohort might be there because neighbors have from a given area of town have organized themselves right. and, and saying we, we would like this type of service here, you know, government is well positioned to respond to those okay. demands if people are involved and know what they want and right. everybody's on the same same page. Mm-hmm. So well, people get organized yeah. because we need we like transit. We need it. Um, yeah, I just, you know, and we may not know what that looks like right now. Well, we just know we need something different, something that works. Um, yeah, and there'll be a lot of forums yeah. as the mayoral campaign campaigns kick into gear in 2023. Mm-hmm. And those will be widely accessible to where right. you and your neighbors or your Go fellow, yeah, your fellow transit advocates can turn out and tell. Put them on a hot seat. Yeah, tell the candidate like, what what's your plan right. for the next four year term on mm-hmm. getting WeGo additional resources and where are you on a referendum? Like, right. what what's your belief in terms of right. our community's need to go back out for a second shot at it? Because I'll give you an example in Atlanta. You know. Um, I think they went out their first time on a major regional referendum for MARTA as well as some other transportation improvements, and it failed. And then over the next five years, due to the growth, they got more racially and socioeconomically diverse. Mm -hmm. And when they went back out, that sort of electorate being more supportive and understanding of transit Mm -hmm. voted for it. So it is done in other cities. It can be done. Mm -hmm. We need not despair. And we need to build on all that work that we did to educate the public in 2018 about why this is needed. Remind them, you know, and then make another ask. Take another stab at it. I think, um, know what you should do. I'm going to give you some some work. (laughs) That (laughs) that I think community, for community. Because I think um, a lot of times community members may not know the questions to ask like bluntly like directly mm-hmm. for for a mayor to understand or a mayoral candidate to really like like can't to not like get around it right, right yeah yeah um and so um it'd be great if you put something together like these are direct specific questions um to ask your mayoral candidate um around transit like what what he or she um, will do about this or how, how they will address this. 
Um, and you can even say, hey, this is the responses you're looking for. Yeah, <laughs> and these yeah. are the responses that like maybe they, they, they may not be for what you're for. But I just think as an educational tool, but something that allows community to go in prepared um, or be able to organize around these specific questions. Like, hey, I'm going to ask this one. You ask this one. You ask that one. Um, because I think like that type of um, questioning um, puts the mayoral candidates on notice like oh community is like really asking me and they're going to ask me every time when I'm at a different form yeah. um, and my answer better stay the same right. or if it does change it better change for the better because they have been enlightened by something but I think that'll be great right or you can just come on here and we can just talk <laughs> about it even more and people can just tune in you know either one is fine with me but I think um I think this is just crucial, and I, I, I really want people to be as informed and as uh, equipped as possible to uh, to to be as readily just to, just to be just to have the expect, expectations um, not like conflicted or like confused and be like, hey, I know exactly what this mayor says he or she will or won't do. Because I was armed with the right questions to ask. Right, right. You know, so. Well, one of the reasons why dedicated funding for WeGo is important is because to do those big mm -hmm. transformational transit capital projects like a BRT or a rail corridor, it gives the transit authority the ability to bond against that revenue, mm. right? So they're, they're, they're not just like paying cash, right? right? They're also borrowing through municipal bonds or, right. or whatever bonds against that revenue to build the thing. And right. so the question would be, do you acknowledge that lack of dedicated funding for WeGo is holding us back as a city? And if so, do you, as an elected leader of our community, plan to exercise our option under the APPROVE Act to hold another referendum to raise taxes and send those to WeGo? Period. There, there you go. Y'all <laughs> have got the... the, the the answers to the test. That's all we're giving you right now. Right, right. But that is amazing. So what you need to do is hit rewind and write that question <laughs> down. Or if you want to record this question and just play it, like, hey, this is my question. Right. That's what, that's, that was amazing, man. I appreciate it. Um we're gonna keep talking if we do, if we don't That's stop. That's all right. At this point. Yeah. We don't Thanks stop. <laughs> no, yeah. I, I hope you enjoyed this as much I as did, I did. Yeah. Um, I really want to do this again, especially going into next year, as as if more information come out about what mural candidates are willing to do or not willing to do, and kind of break that down with you, and like what that means and why that's maybe good or an issue, um, as voters think about who they're gonna vote for. Absolutely. That sounds good to you. Yeah, I got be, you, I got I, your commitment. Yes, absolutely. I'd be glad to come back and you're a great um, interviewer. I so, appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. Uh -huh. I, you know, I try my best, you know. Yeah. You do something enough, you get, you know, I guess kind of good at it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, I'm um, glad you care about our city and I'm glad you're a and proponent I'm, of yeah. public transportation and, and sustainability. And I rode the MTA, you know, yeah. to Pearlcom High School. I was that when it was called the shelter. Yeah. You know, um, so yeah, so I I I, I was I I Seen some wild things. Yeah. <laughs> you can, if you're on the journey, just ride the MTA bus and you'll see the city. You'll get the feel of a mixture of all different type of people um, and places. And, and, and it just all turns no. Like, if you don't have a car, like, this is an option. Yeah. It's um, a, and that's a good reminder to close on, too. It's like being on a bus with 
people from all different walks of life throughout the city as a form of shared public space, Mm -hmm. like our public schools and our, you know, public um, plazas and parks and libraries and community centers. And we need more of that so that we can interact with each other and feel like we're part of a community. It'd be great networking possibilities. You never know who you're sitting (laughs) on the bus to, you know? That's right. Exactly. Um, Mary Beth, thank you again. Um, I appreciate your time and availability and your knowledge that you've poured into this conversation. I can't wait to do it again. Thanks, Jerome. I'll be back. All right, for sure. Okay.